Hey, this is LGBT Q&A, where we get to know different members of the LGBTQ community. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and I'm here today with Angelica Ross. Angelica is an actor, an activist, and the CEO and founder of TransTech Social. Stay tuned. Hey, Angelica. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy we were able to. You're a busy woman. Very, very, very busy. I'm flying out actually tonight. Are you really? I am. Oh my God. That's so nice. <laughs> yeah. So I'm speaking at Penn State, one of the campuses. I can't remember which one, but one of them. Oh, awesome. Yeah. One, uh, one of them. Um, and did I see that last week you just shot an episode of Transparent? Yes, I did. Oh my God. Am I right to guess you can't tell me anything about it? I can't tell you anything. All I can tell you is that it was fabulous. Really? And my character was fabulous. Did I see some period dresses? Yes, you did. It's a, it, it, I will say that it's, it's, they're known for doing flashbacks. Sure. So, you know, it's going to be a flashback. Okay. That I appear in, you know? Okay, well, t- tell me this then. I don't know if my timelines uh, correlate. Okay. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, or a week and a half ago, you tweeted, rehearsing for my scene tomorrow morning, and it feels like I've been drowning in a swimming pool. Is that yes. transparent? No, that was actually uh, claws. <laughs> and the reason why, um, it's funny, it's because I was actually kind of being more literal um, in the sense that one of the scenes that I shoot for claws, I use a neti pot. <laughs> And so I had to stick this neti pot in my nose and there's water going in through my nose. So you know that feeling that you get when you're in a swimming pool and you're like, you know, turned upside down or coughing out water and your nose is kind of burning? Like, that's basically what I was referring to. But I'm sure people thought I was being really deep. Yeah, like very like, I like love emo music. So I'm like, yes, she's like emotionally drowning. (laughs) Yes. No, I wasn't being that deep that time. I was actually being pretty literal. <laughs> that is so funny. Oh, I mean, well, speaking of your like social media posts, you were um, hashtagging from set relevance. Yes. And I thought you were saying like, I'm relevant. And I was like, I didn't doubt you. Yes. No, actually, my character's name is Relevance. I saw that. Yes. <laughs> yes. She's pre- she's quite the character. And, and the funny thing is about shooting television, like this is what I'm finding out about this show, is I have no clue what's going on. <laughs> like, I just find out as they release each script to us. Oh, and then also you're only there on set when it's your scene. Absolutely, yeah. So I haven't... You know, there's... I picked up some parts from seeing little bits of the teaser and it's it's really... um, I really love the premise of the show because it's so devilishly, you know, fun in the sense that you've got these women who are badasses and they're not, you know, supposed to be perfect. They're kind of... Uh, money laundering and doing all kind of business. And so like me coming in there, uh, my character, I have yet to find out when, um, you know, it's revealed that she's trans. So I've already shot my first episode and it doesn't even come up. Oh, amazing. It is a yeah. trans character, though. I I believe so. Uh, <laughs> I believe so. Yes, yes, she is. Yes, in the, in the script, she is trans. But I believe that the part originally was not written for a trans woman fantastic yeah and it was was great about that role um i think because of the all of the hype and everything from her story us getting the gotham award us getting the emmy nomination me winning best actor for the new york uh film television festival i think it was yeah 
So after all of that, like I started getting contacted directly from a lot of things. So with Claws, they actually reached out to my agent like a couple weeks before the audition and, you know, kind of asked for me. But I was like, um, I, I actually had a conflict, so I wasn't sure I was going to be able to do it, but we worked it out. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, I love hearing. So they stemmed from her story. Um, I love that. I mean, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, you know, I, I, I would say, yes, her story and the exposure from that has been major. I mean. Uh, um, Carrie Washington, you know, tweeted out that she was a fan of mine and, and a big fan of mine in the show. And, uh, you know, Debbie Morgan has reached out to me. A lot of black actresses that I, I look up to. Um, and Nisi Nash now from Claws, like she's just become a big, big sister. She's awesome. I love that. And then I think that premiere is a summer. Yes. Is that correct? It, okay. Like I will still be filming as people are watching. It's going to be great. I'm filming all the way through June. No way. How many episodes are you in? I don't know yet, but I do know that I'm in several. I'm a recurring character oh, throughout fantastic. the season. That's so exciting! It's it's super exciting. I was like, finally, I got a job. My <laughs> God, when am I going? You know, because like Jen, you know, from yes. her story, Jen was on um, on Nashville. So you know, she was on Nashville for, and then um, you know, we honestly, when they're looking for trans roles. You know, there's a handful of us, especially that have been acting before the whole trans boom, you know, and I think a lot of us has really been prepared for this moment. You know, like Laverne, people think that Laverne kind of just came out of nowhere, but she came up in performing arts and yeah. doing those things. And so did Jen, you know, did a lot of Shakespeare. I grew up at doing musical theater wearing tights, doing fame, playing Tyrone. But on my resume, I said I played Maria for a while, just to, you know, cover up the T for a while. Um, but, you know, I think this this project has really um, just opened the doors wide open. I finally got a job. Good, yes. good. W- one of many. One of many, yes, actually, because I not only did that, then I filmed an episode of Transparent. And, um, you know, people are currently right now from nice major parts of the industry are reaching out and talking so good yeah and i'm I'm assuming you knew like the team behind transparent people who worked on the show right yeah i mean like i've known them for a long a while like i actually used to go to for the previous seasons i would go to the screenings to pre-screen them and give them feedback on this oh really (laughs) on the shows ahead of time so i'm like um this is a problem you know no but like they what's great with transparent um They've been such a, they've been a listening show. You know, a lot of times when you have allies and you have people who think that they're trying to bring light to your issues, they don't listen. They just do whatever it is that they have their ideas in their minds and they don't listen to what the community actually wants. And so Transparent, when they first came out, I think really listened to the backlash that happened um, because we were in, even I was someone who was like, okay, here we go. Another show about a late transitioning white trans person who has different levels of privilege and access than the everyday trans person. And so, but it's such a good show. The writing is so amazing. And really when you get to the particular, you know, in the specific, like Jen always says too, you know, it really shines a light on the universal. So I, you know, and I like that they're trying to include um, and expand that story. However, that I think that's really what's really great about, I think I respect that show for what it is. And then with her story, what I love about her story and what we did there is we really just scratched the surface with multiple identities. My character is a, you know, trans woman. We don't know uh, yet uh, about her um, surgical status because that will come up in the 
following episodes. But basically, she's uh, heteronormative. She dates men. Um, Jen's character is bisexual. You know, we have lesbians in the in the um, in the project, but we also have a trans male character that didn't get in the cut of that. Oh. But so when the full story gets told you'll see where that character kind of comes in. So what's great about our story and her story, it really dives in and out of so many different identities and what it's like to be them um, versus like with stories like Transparent, it's so specific into that particular identity and family. Oh, fascinating. Um, with Transparent, it's nice to hear that you are like seeing them listening to. Oh my God, yeah, they're amazing. Uh, can you talk about why... Jeffrey Tambor is kind of like the exception of not casting a trans person in a trans role? Yeah, I mean, you know, because what the reality is to be an actor is to really tell stories and to really, you have to identify yourself that am I the best tool, an actor, to tell this story? Um, you know, so I really don't necessarily have an issue necessarily with, I have an issue because of the climate that we're in right now and the political climate and the way people think about trans people. But if we were like light years ahead and really evolved to the place that we need to be, an actor is an actor, you know, and should be able to play any role. But the fact that trans people can't play those roles is where part of the problem is. Yeah. And they're not being seen. For they're them. not being seen, you know. So the fact that Jeffrey, um, you know, really not only just listened, but as you know, Jeffrey's portrayal, too, I, I really feel is it just doesn't feel like he's putting on a costume. It really feels like um, for that moment, he is living through that perspective. Um, I almost want to say she, you know, as Mora is living through that perspective, because I think um, Jeffrey does such a great job and also recognizes publicly from the stage in interviews, you know, the problematicness of cis men playing trans roles. So it's one thing I think. Really what it comes down to is folks who have privilege, they really need to learn how to take up the space, yes, that life affords you. But while you're taking up that space, create space and bring marginalized voices and people into that space, especially when you are chosen to represent that community, even in a sort of fictional standpoint. Yeah. And I think like the way he talks about the trans community and Mara, um, it's a like wonderful example of where other people falter. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And even... The rest of the cast, too, like amazing. Uh, Amy Landecker um, is just an incredible ally. She's someone that um, I met at the GLAAD Awards in the bathroom. You know, we, we were at the, in the bathroom oh at the God, same time. Oh, my God, trans people in the bathroom, watch out. Yeah, Angelica, I know, right? don't say that on the no, air. But no, but what ended up happening for that... Uh, I'm kidding, <laughs> No, but what happened at that GLAAD Awards is... It must have been, it was like a bat signal went off because every trans person in the building went to the bathroom at the same time. Like everybody, even Caitlyn Jenner walked into the bathroom. It was crazy. But, um, but Amy Landecker is someone who's worked in Chicago and she's worked on the ground with nonprofits. So has worked, um, within LGBT, uh, organizations, but also has personally, you know, contributed to my nonprofit, to Trans Tech, you know, and, and has believed in our organization. So they don't just, give you lip service they actually really they hire trans people they really are trying to um, make this more than a show yeah yeah and and from season one they've uh, added so many more trans and gender non-conforming people behind the scenes oh absolutely when i was working on set i saw i saw trans people working behind the set 
which was amazing. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we move off of Claws, that's shot in New Orleans? Um, yes. So it takes place, uh, the, if in the script it says it's uh, set in Florida Noir. Um, so it's really awesome. But it's actually shot in New Orleans and also in... Um, Somewhere in Florida. I haven't been to the Florida set yet. Wait, though. is Florida Noir a term that they made up? Or is that... <laughs> it's, it's a, I think it's a term okay. they made up, but it's just so... That's really like, amazing. Yeah, it's, it's so amazing, yes. So, yeah, it's... Uh, but New Orleans, I guess, you know, there's a lot of things filming there. Um, I think Queen Sugar is filming... I know Queen Sugar is filming there because okay. I met a lot of the cast there, which was so awesome. <laughs> that show is amazing. I can't... Oh, I want to be on that show. I, I want to be on that show. I want to be on Queen Sugar. Oh, I mean, they're not watching this. <laughs> they will be. Yeah, I'll send it to they them. They might be. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I, not to bring the mood down, but um, you were in New Orleans. Were you there when the two women were killed? China Dupree and Sierra and McElveen? I was not there, um, but I was, you know... In the midst of my travels, you know, it's so it's so hard to have such the schedule that, you know, and be on the go, on the go, on the go and doing all these things. And it's like a bullet that hits you um, out of nowhere because it just they're consistent. It's always another trans woman has been killed, another trans woman, and they're always trans women of color. And then to have these couple be in in New Orleans and for me to be going there, you know, I'm someone who feels very confident and walking alone and just some very, you know, I, I, I guess I've, you know, got used to my privilege, my, my passing privilege. Um, of just, but, but sometimes, you know, the privilege doesn't protect you and I don't, you know, I don't know half the time with my visibility, you know, growing and growing. I don't know who knows if I'm trans or not when I'm out on the streets you know, I'm single and mingling. And so, you know, that even becomes a danger factor. So, you know, I don't, it's, it's, it's something that just takes the wind out of you because you just, sometimes you feel like you don't know what to do. Um, but I have to remind myself that I am doing something and that, um, you know, the fact that I choose not to hide, even though, um, you know, fear may, um, want me to, but, um, I choose to live my life visibly. I choose to tell visible stories of trans people. I I choose to invest in my community. I choose to, um, speak out even when trolls on Twitter and social media, you know, I, I get threats like from people and it's, it's, it's a very, very challenging time, but, um, and, and not to be like callous, but I don't know how it, you do not become like numb to it after a while. Cause it, like you said, it's not new. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's hard to say the least. Um, because every time you see these girls, the, the, there's so much rhetoric of people who there's a reason why there's not an outcry um, for these trans women that are dying, you know, um, there's so many people out there that I know that claim to be advocates for our community, but they're only advocates for the respectable parts of our community, the, 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 the parts that they find respectable. And not only that, but when so, when a lot of trans women, um, you know, encounter violence, it's at the hands sometimes of our partners, but people also think that people assume that it's because these women are doing sex work or what are they doing? 
But it doesn't matter, number one, what they're doing. When and when and secondly, you know, in the LGBT community, we fought so hard for sexual liberation and freedom, and the, the gay community went on a tizzy when um, rentboy.com, you know, was sort of, um, I think it was shut down for a little bit or they were going after it and all these male, you know, escorts. And really it's a way of life that I've seen so often. I've seen twinks and young gay boys on the street who were homeless go from homeless to real estate agent. You understand what I'm saying? Through nepotism, through all kind of other things that sort of happen in the gay community. But who's looking after the trans woman of color? No one, if if any of these gay boys, rent boys were being killed, then we'd see an outcry of this. But there no, there's not enough heart in our community to, to really, you know, care for the lives of trans women. You know, you see this uh, outcry in the, in the, in the um, suicides when, you know, suicides happen. And there's a, uh, you know, there's a line of, of class and a lot of things that happen around that where people um, want to be vocal around suicide, but not around the murders. When really none, all of it, you know, is really, um, it's a really a sad shame when we lose any life to it, whether it's suicide or murder. I agree. And I know that you like are not here to provide the answer, but like, <laughs> yes. I don't know like what to do. You know, uh, a lot of what has to happen is just conversations where people have to respect trans women as women, period. Um, You know, when people, you know, it comes down to really Maya Angelou would say, when people tell you who they are, believe them. And that literally goes on both the positive and negative side of that. You know, it's all about self-determination. And it really is the highest level of disrespect to try to be the author of someone else's story, to rip the pen right out of someone else's hand and say, this is your story. This is your destiny. This is how your story will end. You know, and I had to really do a lot of work to fight against the messaging that was pushing me in a direction of thinking this is how my story is supposed to go, to getting to a place of having the agency to say and determine for myself, even when my life didn't look so respectable or didn't look so... Um, you know, nice and safe, you know, when things were scary, like I still, you know, found a way to you say that I deserved, you know, I deserve uh, to be treated nice. I deserve to be loved. I deserve to be respected. And, you know, regardless of if you agree with my life or not, you know, I was going to say lifestyle, but it's not a lifestyle, <laughs> you know, regardless of if you agree with me or not, you should respect me as a human. Like we have to get to a place of like prioritizing being a humanitarian. And these things that you're naming are things like off my back. You know, like it doesn't literally cost me zero dollars. Right. To like pay someone respect. Yeah. Yeah. So- there was a there was an episode that was a funny it was funny. There was an episode of I think it was Fresh Off the Boat. Um and there was all these kids and it they had a little scene where they were doing an imaginary scene where they were all grown up teenagers and they were I guess all hot teenagers. <laughs> Except for the one little boy comes around and he looks at the other guys and he's like, hey, you know, it, does, it doesn't cost you any, your, it doesn't cost your imagination anything to make me, you know, included in this too. And I really think about that when it comes to Hollywood and to stories and to a lot of things. It's like, what does it really cost you? You know, I think about these fictional stories that white people get so upset about when you introduce a black character. It's like, this is a damn fiction story. 
You telling me that elves, witches, lions, and um, wolves and werewolves exist, but black people don't? Well, that's like when they made Into the Woods, the movie. It was a fairy tale. I was like, why are there not a person of color? Mm-hmm. The, the, um, I'm, Lord of the Rings, child. Co- compared to the Cinderella with Brandy, I think like the that prince was, was Asian. Yes. Like, Whitney Houston was the... There was like different... Uh, Whoopi Goldberg was the mom That's of like the everybody's Asian favorite Cinderella. And if it's yeah. not, you know... I got a problem with you. You heard it first. Yeah. But um, like that's such a great, great example of like, it's a magical world. It really is. I mean, it's just, it doesn't cost you anything to imagine a world, imagine a world where every piece of life has space, you know, space to grow. It's, it, as long as it's not one of those kind of, you know, those, those, those uh, vines that like wrap its tentacles around you and strangles the life out of you you know as long as it's life that respects other life then people should be allowed to grow and to change like I wasn't the same person that I was you know five years that I am today that I wasn't the same person five years ago Um, same and thank god yeah you know yeah I was kind of a thought <laughs> Still am a little bit, but yeah. yeah. Whatever. Part time. Yes, part so we time. Just, we'll talk about off camera. Yeah. <laughs> I want to hear those stories. Um, I'm given the hope, though, looking at people uh, like Gavin Graham. One, he's incredibly well spoken. Um, but two, like, he had an issue in school because parents found out about it. He didn't have an issue because of his classmates. And so, like, that gives me hope that the people in this actual school were like, nah, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, usually that's how it is. Yeah. And a lot of um, stories that we've seen popping up, it's something that happens in hindsight when parents find out about it and then they freak out. Um, but really, it's it's just not an issue. So many trans people, we're so over this bathroom issue. I mean, really, I wish that people would just do their jobs and do it well. So say, for instance, if we're really that worried about protecting women then let's actually look at protecting women instead of creating these. Um, this is really a circus. Um, people, the Republicans create all this fear around trans people that really wasn't. We've been going to the bathroom that uh, we feel like going to for the longest time. You it have wasn't no facts inter- behind that. You yeah. can't prove that. You know, it, no, but it's it literally all my girl. We, no one's until they shined a spotlight on trans yeah. issues. Now we have uh, a situation, but I don't have a situation going to the bathroom which irritates me a little bit. It's a very, it's an issue that it's, it's hard to have that privilege in the sense that being an advocate and being someone, you know, I just went to North Carolina a few months back and spoke at, uh, at uh, the University of North Carolina. And as I'm going in the airport and as they're dealing with HB2 at that time, you know, legally I was supposed to be using the men's bathroom. So it's kind of like I wanted to be, you know, a little militant and go into the men's bathroom. But it's like, what, a, you know, it's, what am I saying? It's not me. You know what I mean? Like, so it's not, I don't want to create this circus around because it's not me that they're stopping. You know, it's folks that are, are struggling that are being judged by their women, by their womanhood, even cis women. You have cis women who, you know, maybe a little broad shoulder. Maybe they have an Adam's apple. Maybe they're, you know, uh, got a, a five o'clock shadow. You know, there are women who struggle with all of these things. Yeah, And we now had, their womanhood is being, like, uh, you know, policed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we had Ali Liebegott on the show who writes for Transparent. And she is this cis female. She's butch. And she is like, I have a problem going to the bathroom. And, like, it's, it's like, from what we perceive. It's... 
I'm, I'm over it, but it's like, obviously, obviously I kind of have the privilege to be over it. So that's why, you know, I have to, people have to always recognize their privilege. It's, it's not a problem for me, but that doesn't mean it's not a problem right yeah. now. But you're over it, but unfortunately, a lot of lawmakers are not. I know, I know. And we have to keep, unfortunately, we have to stay vigilant about it. But I, for me, I'm always a believer of, and I know this gets me in trouble, but like, you know, I always say the truth needs no defense. So I just walk boldly in my truth and whatever happens, happens. But it's like, I don't need to defend, you know, my truth. And every once in a while, you know, you know, the haters pop up and and, and poke you a little bit and want you to, you know, get you in a place where you feel like you got to defend yourself. But most times, you know, I, you know, it's like the truth needs no defense. Why am I? Yeah. My, my my personal policy is I never argue on the internet with somebody who it's like doesn't have like a face picture or it's a cartoon, and that weeds out like ninety five percent. It weeds out a lot of people, but then you then you even have people who you know who may have a following, but really what we have to understand is we're all talking to each other in a hundred and forty characters, you know. So some folks have time to do these full threads and and whatnot but you know i don't always have time to break down oppression and systematic issues in 140 characters nor do i really have the will to want to do that right so i feel like people should educate themselves i'll send out 140 characters and put you in the right direction but i'm not going to educate you on twitter it's not my job absolutely uh and so i think it's so important that when we hear about trans people in news it can't always be a negative story uh, which leads us to the trans tech social yes, enterprises. Absolutely, yes. Um, for the people at home, can you just explain exactly what it is? You know, it, it's always been hard to explain. What is trans tech? Um, you know, so trans tech is something that really came out of my own lived experience of, you know, being really marginalized, as so many trans women have been into the adult industry. Um, you know, back in uh, probably 2000, 2001, um, you know, the laws and our society wasn't what it was today, you know. And so, you know, I was even pushed in, into this world of saying, you know, your only options are to pose on adult websites. And so I began posing on adult websites. And um, but very quickly uh, realized there was this magic moment that happened where the person who owned the site was like you look you look you seem very computer savvy you know would you start rotating the pictures and updating the site and doing different things or whatever so instead of posing on the site it was like working on the site and then instead of I didn't really like the way that she was doing her site you know I, um so I started doing my own you know and and built my own website um and then I uh, said, you know what, I actually don't really want to, me personally, I don't want to be in the adult industry, but I do like this tech aspect. So I started, uh, I went to lynda.com, taught myself how to do like CSS and HTML and how to, hey, shout out for a commercial for lynda.com, you know, and I taught myself like HTML, CSS and learning WordPress and stuff like that. And then I went online to the freelance websites like guru.com, Elance, all these other things. And um, I would charge, I see people posting jobs, they need a website built. So I would say, hey, I'll do it for $200 or $100, you know, at first, just so that I could get the portfolio sample. Oh, you're underbidding yourself to get work. 
I, just so I can build my portfolio, Smart. show people that I can do the work. And so I did that at first and, and I got, a, got the portfolio samples and I raised my prices. And I did it for 10 years. I um, For 10 years, I did um, photo retouching, building websites, doing um, audio production, um, like a lot of different creative type things. And then I would hire freelancers who had more advanced skills to do the coding to be a part of a project. Then I um, got hired to do a job that uh, they wanted me to create an employment program at the Trans Life Center in Chicago. Um, so it was first launching. They hired. They wanted to hire a trans person to do so. Um, I did not agree with how they were uh, doing things. They were trying to push our community into um, food service jobs. We a lot of our community was coming out of the prison dealing with mental health issues, dealing with HIV, and a lot of challenges. And so they were like creating this low-hanging fruit sort of program where it was like, oh, do this one-week safety and sanitation thing, and you can go work in a restaurant, and you can do this. And I was like, well, how about we teach them computer skills? And I told them about the business that I ran for 10 years and how I was able to take myself from not having to pose on websites to be able to... On my own terms, with grace, without judgment, grow to these different places. And they told me that what I wanted to teach was over the heads of the people that we were serving. So um, once I got that message, I quit. And I founded Trans Tech. And that literally, like, I'm talking about, like, as I was quitting, um, I was was like, okay, I'm going to go back to my business that I was doing before. But instead, I'm going to find a way to blend this nonprofit mindset with for-profit techniques. And it took me a while, a lot of bumping heads, a lot of dealing with my community that wasn't ready for sometimes for the opportunity and having to give some tough love, you know, and uh, and I personally did not take a salary the entire time that I uh, for two years I did not take a salary. I had to work several other jobs, many times had negative bank accounts, um, went on food stamps for a while. Um, but I eventually churned about over $100,000 into our community's pockets before I even putting any money into my own. And so, wow, you know, a lot of times people get a little twisted view about what I do because they see me everywhere and they see me looking like this celebrity and doing all these things. They see you on the red carpet. They see me on the red carpet. They see all those things, but they don't really know the price I'm paying. Wow. Yeah, but now and I've, but now we've 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 turned things around where, you know, I was TransTech's number one donor um, by working all those jobs, and I just couldn't do it anymore. So we cr- came up with a new model, and we're doing these hubs, these TransTech hubs across the country. And what I'm really asking for, I've been asking um, LGBT organizations and other orgs that have space to be the hubs for TransTech. Those that have additional office space that can be either co-working space, co-learning space, or even just a host of one-off sort of event um, that by giving more access to these spaces, because if there's a computer there and an internet access, then the same way that I worked online and clocked in for those jobs, they can do the same thing. Wow. So eventually I'm going to do a, a, a big call to action to all those organizations and I'm going to say, okay, put your money where your mouth is. Now you have all these trans people who have access to computers, LGBT folks who are marginalized, who have access to these hubs with internet who can who and who can prove that they know MailChimp. So you have a newsletter that needs to be sent out, hire a trans person to do so. Not only can you do so, but through our system it will 
take a screenshot of their screen every 10 minutes while they're clocked in doing the job to give them accountability for the job. So there's no excuse not to hire them for the job. I know at one point the HRC in D.C. was giving you offices. Is that still? Yeah, no. So basically, as I was launching Trans Tech, um, you know, and I was fortunate enough to be in a time where President Barack Obama was in office. And so I was like over at the White House, like every five minutes. It was wonderful. I was like, hey, Obama, how you doing? No, I yeah, but I I would work with the uh, White House liaison. Um, We would talk about we were talking about creating an entry, a pipeline to employment into the White House. We were, you know, starting all this stuff. As, you know, was actually getting towards the end of his, you know, presidency. I don't want to ask them questions, but are any of those relationships still there? Like the people working? Well, unfortunately, most of the relationships I've had at the White House, those people have left. They don't want to be working at, I mean, most of the people I know have not continued their jobs at the White House. I can guess why. I've been offered to show up for different events. I don't want to step foot in the White House for the next four years. Sorry. Um, You know, I'm like Maxine Waters. I'm very. I'm. I, you. I, you won't find me mincing words about any of this. He's not my president. Um, you know, there's there's so much scandal involved around him being the president. Um, you know, me being a black woman and a businesswoman. I, you know, when I met Hillary and I uh, introduced her at a rally in New York, I told her, I said, you know. You know, I I must I support you, and I said, but I said I swayed in my support. I said, and you know, one I you know hearing all this talk about, and I said, but one after hearing so much talk, the talk actually pushed me in your favor because I know all too well what it takes to be a woman to step into a room and be respected for the knowledge and experience that you have to be so qualified for a job, and yet this idiot standing next to you doesn't know how doesn't know nothing from nothing gets the floor, gets the job, gets the money, gets the opportunity, whatever it is. So I know all too well what that's like. I'm with you. I'm with her, you know, and it's unfortunate that not enough of our country, you know, and 50% of those, 53% of those white women out there weren't with us either, you know, it's just unfortunate. I I think too, like something I'm not hearing a lot of people talk about is that when Hillary was head of the state department, she made it so that trans people could change the gender marker on their passports. She did a lot. You know, a lot of people were like, oh, she's been anti-LGBT. You know, look, was there a time when her her talk or her rhetoric wasn't, um, you know, 100? Probably, yes. I'm not going to give the girl a full stamp of approval. But I will say that, like, we have got... It's just so baffling to me how much we want to throw down the gauntlet of judgment on someone and say that's it. And, and and that's who they are. And there's no redemption for this person. You know, even when it came to the crime bill that, you know, the Clintons were behind, like that was messed up. And that caused a lot of breaking up of black families. Um, yes, there was a problem, but because of the way that was set up, it, it basically caused more issue than it, uh, than it solved. And not to make excuses for him, but I think he had like the right intention. Yeah, it, I mean, it but, had disastrous consequences. But you know? as I said on the Daily Show, honey, <laughs> yeah. intention is not the same as impact. You can yeah, have okay. the right intention, but you have to understand that the way that things land is is it, 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 it depends on where you're delivering it to. So if you don't take that into consideration, you're not being very, um, I would say, um, 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 when it says be impeccable, you're not being very impeccable with your words and with your actions. 
That's okay. the four agreements. Yes. <laughs> Being impeccable um, with your I, words. I caught that. I liked yes. it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that... Um, yeah, you're right. We don't need to argue Manusha about Hillary. You're exactly right. Um, I, I just love the example of her changing the policies for the passport because this was a letter that a constituent sent in and she said, what can I do in my current position? And she made a change. Yeah, yeah. And it's made it, you know, I got my passport changed. Um, you the know, majority of my friends are able to have a ID with the, uh, their gender correct because of that. Yeah, but I mean, it still comes with its challenges because I just got my passport changed probably last year, but I went through like six, seven months of challenge. Really? Oh yeah, it wasn't easy. They, I, I had it was not easy. It wasn't like just signing a paper. I've been trans. I'm not gonna say how old I am, but I've been trans for a long time. Baby, I've been me for a long time. So for me to have to go and prove to them I am who I am, that's just nonsense. Yeah. You, you mentioned The Daily Show. I cannot believe somebody was on TV talking about baby trans. On the t- <laughs> yes, child. Yes. And we were nominated for a GLAAD Award for that episode. I saw that. Yes. yes. I believe that's your second one. Yes. Um, so her story also was nominated for a GLAAD Award. So I'll be attending the GLAAD Awards April 1st. Hopefully we'll... Fingers win. crossed. Yes, we'll win something. Uh, when I see you giving speeches at award shows or on TV or even now, you um, you are, as you said, impeccable with your words and you're so poised. Is that the Buddhist in you? Def, yes. Okay. Yeah. How long have you been practicing that? Um, seriously, I've been practicing for six years. Um, I began practicing Nichiren Buddhism in 2010. Um, but, you know, it really is something that I, I started... It was like breadcrumbs. And I think the first breadcrumb was given to me by a therapist. And it was a book called uh, The Voice of Knowledge by Don Miguel Ruiz. And um, then he also wrote The Four Agreements. And so um, when I started like unraveling the nonsense, you know, and then got introduced to Buddhism as a general philosophy and started to sit and started to meditate and started to uh, really what I realized was since the time I was born, there was such a feed of messages really got uh, molding who I am and how I thought. And I really had to cut that feed and start a whole new feed of new messages, new messages that affirmed who I was from the core of who I was, not that you were a uh, uh, abomination from Christian terminology, but know that I am uniquely created to be exactly the way that I am. And so, by sitting with that, I have now have a practice. You know, I, I am one. I'm a talker, but I have a practice of spending a lot of time not talking. And so, a lot of times, people in in interim in my car and a lot of things, I spend a lot of time in silence. And so, from that silence comes the right thing to say. When I speak um, at my speaking engagements, there are times when, because I never want to have the same speech when I talk to audiences. I always want to have it be informed by the energy, the people in the room, the town, what's going on in current affairs. And so I'll stop and I'll wait for the words to come. And and, and usually it's a, it's a pretty, you know, I, I feel really powerful in those times when I'm speaking, but not from a way of saying I'm a powerful speaker but in a way that feels like I'm too receiving w- the message. Like, I sometimes don't know what I'm going to say. So when I pause, and it, I feel like it's just me being a vessel of, of, of the message. 
of a universal universal message that's just coming through another. So again, we all are worthy of this thing called life, enlightenment, heaven, whatever you want to call it. So it's really important to see that message come filtered through different voices and different faces and different bodies and different things like that. So I allow, I just wait, and as it comes through, sometimes something comes out, and I'm like, "That's a, okay, I get, you know." And I'm learning in the moment. What, what do you call that? Is it that God? Is it the universe? Energy? You know what we, uh, you know what we call it is we what we call it is the mystic law. Um, um, and really like cause and effect. And it's really basically like a wave. If you, if you look at, at, uh, the way the universe works at light and sound, um, really it's about how do I center myself or tune myself in a way where I'm now in rhythm. I'm in the wave so that I'm not out of sync with my life. What happens is, is, um, I know when I'm out of sync with my life stuff. I just know. And it's not it doesn't mean that bad things are happening. That doesn't mean you're out of sync because bad things happen all the time. It's about how you respond to those bad things. So I may respond to something and totally let it pull me out of my element. And that means I'm not really in tune. You know, you know what I mean? Or But you have the awareness to notice that. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes a lot of time to build that awareness. It takes a lot of time because I still... You know, I have longer periods of enlightenment and awareness in between practicing. So, you know, I may have times where I'm not as disciplined on my Buddhist practice, but I've been practicing long enough that I have these long periods of awareness. But if you don't stay on it, it's like putting gas in a car. You run out of the fuel to be that way and then all of a sudden I go unconscious again and I'm easily wrapped up into the argument into my ego into all these different things so it's it's just this constant reminder to tune yourself into really what we call it is we chant to this like scroll and really it's about looking and polishing the mirror so I see my life clearly and recognize that no it's not this thing over there that's my problem no it's not my job that's the problem What's the problem is something in me that sees, and it's so hard to do this, but to see every situation and not see yourself as separate from it. Wow. And when you say practice, is that your chance? Yeah. Yeah, we, like we do that. And then we also do this whole full, like, uh, it's this whole chapter. It's in Japanese or whatever. But really all it's saying is that um, without fail, Everyone has access to um, really to reaching their highest potential, but you have to realize just as life lives in a rainforest, the dandelions, the orchids, and the redwood trees, you know what I mean, are all different and they can't beat each other. They can't compete and beat each other, but they all have to grow into their fullness. You know, so when a flower grows into its fullness and blossoms and gives the fragrance, that is what it's supposed to do. It's not supposed to grow any bigger. It's not supposed to have another season or whatever the case it is. So it's just about us learning how to even that's even that's I I saw something about Dr. Um, There was someone on Oprah who wrote the um, um, I forget what the book is, but there was a woman on there who lost the baby um, who only lived a little bit of time, you know. 
and she could not deal with why this happened and I couldn't understand why would God allow you know certain these things or whatever but something he said really got down to the fact of even honoring that little bit of time that that life lived and what that said and did for you and the blessing of that and it's hard for people to do that but the more that we get to that place to value the even smallest particle of life the more that we will respect one another and the choices that we have to make that sometimes are life and death situations wow i feel like buddhism and buddhists are such like a word that people throw around without like actually practicing so it is fascinating to hear this well it is because buddhism has been commercialized in a way that goes through yoga studios and buddhist art on walls at cb2 you know, but, uh, you know, but there are rarely folks and, and a lot of people think about Buddhism as this detachment thing about sitting on some mountaintop and being, you know, or being able to uh, meditate and pull yourself away from everything and detach. Your, it's not about that. It's about fine tuning your humanity, your to be the best of who you are so that when you show up in a situation, if something pops off, you are right where you're supposed to be because you're now going to be the solution to that situation. Wow. Um, I think- and Buddhists get along a lot with atheists too because really, um, you know, atheists, I think a lot of atheists, I ha- my heart goes out to a lot of atheists because I feel a lot of atheists that I know um, really reject um, an idea of God, I think, and and I really think it's because of what Christianity and other um, entities have drawn a picture or have claimed all dominion and knowledge over what God is. Um, but really, it has it. Ha- you can't even give it a name. And I speak about the same source, but when I speak in Buddhist tours. Uh, Buddhist terms to atheists, they're always like, yeah, that makes sense or whatever. But I could easily say the same thing in Christian terms. Yeah. It's just, you know, um, you know, Christianity, unfortunately, has done a lot more harm, I think, than it is doing good in this day and age and even just over centuries, really. Yeah. Um, Thank you for sharing all that with us. Um, I think I need to let you go. I need yes. to catch up flight. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you for having of me. Of course. Um, where can we send people if they want to learn more about you? Your website, your Twitter? MissRoss.com. M-I-S-S-R-O-S-S.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at, at Angelica Ross. Fantastic. Yes. And I'm on Twitter at JeffMasters1. If you want to help us out, we'd love if you want to subscribe and leave a comment on iTunes. You can, of course, find all of our other interviews there and YouTube. We will see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. From executive producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 